Hola, strange arrows. What? Gasp. That's not how the phrase normally goes. That's right. But this is also not normally where this part of the show goes. I'm just keeping it fresh. I'm switching things up on you. Wanted to jump in and just say thank you to everybody who's been listening to the show lately. You know, things were bumpy at the transition from high strangeness to howdy strangers, but we've gotten a positive response. People are enjoying a more free-form discussion, not to say that it wasn't that free-form in the first place, because it definitely was. But whenever you make a shift like that, you're always a little hesitant, right? You're like, well, what if every single person unsubscribes? And that hasn't been the case, because for the most part, people have stayed on track, got a similar number of people listening to the show, even gained a couple subscribers in the midst of this uh, switchover. So I just wanted to pop in, say thank you. If you're a new listener or you haven't yet, I would really, really appreciate if you head over to Apple Podcasts, type in Howdy Strangers, and review the show. It means a lot. It's how a lot of people find the show. Um, If you are interested in talking to me, or if you're interested in someone specific that you want to listen to talk to me, talking to me, shoot me a DM, at me on Twitter. More than anything, the most important thing you can do is share the show with your friends. And I don't mean to just get in here and harp. Um, because honestly, the size of this community could stay exactly like this for the rest of forever. And I'd still be happy to keep making the show for you guys. Cause, uh, a, I like listening to myself talk. I like getting to talk to interesting people. Like you will, you will listen to here in the next couple of minutes when I talk to my pal, Brooke pride more. Um, but you know, out here doing it for doing it for the fans, doing it for the folks. No, I'm doing it for the sake of doing it. I'm doing a podcast. Because that's the thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now. And you're probably doing something right now, too. But you know what you're supposed to be doing? Go on Apple Podcasts and writing a review. And you could say something like, Howdy, strangers. It's like, you know, if it's like if Joe Rogan were good. It's like if 99% Invisible wasn't educational. Compare it to some other show. Or don't. Just talk about your organic opinion. Um, and if you don't want to do that, I'm not going to pressure you. It doesn't really bother me either way, but I would appreciate it. And, uh, hey, guess what? Play my theme song. Create your own road show. Nope, nope, stop, stop. I forgot to say the things. I don't have the sheet in front of me like I normally do. Uh, hey, we're on Twitter at howdy underscore strangers. We are on Instagram at howdy dot strangers. We are on TikTok at howdy.strangers. I think it's at howdy.strangers. If you type in howdy strangers on TikTok, you will find the link. Find us there. All right, those are the links. Now for real, play the theme song. Create your own road show. I whooped his ass at Circle K. Good Lord, you wearing that to church? We gonna do it again. Fired up, son. So you're gonna tell me that you don't have no black cat, no Roman candles, or screaming me? Have you called your mama today? You gotta understand that I went to prison when I was seven years old. Howdy, strangers. Al Mirabella here, the host of Howdy, strangers, the only podcast by Mark Ronson and featuring Bruno Mars. Don't believe me? Just watch. It's been a fun week, right? Texas, snowy over there. They got like three inches, which is you know I've heard people from the the up top states like. Haha, three inches. If you've never had three inches of snow, I don't know what I would do with three inches of snow. I see a flurry and I pull over to the side of the road because I, man, that shit scares me. But 
it's a scary place out there. And this was, you know, if this was on your 2021 bingo card, uh, Texas, half of Texas being shut down, then congratulations. You're, you're that much closer to winning a celebratory 2021 windbreaker from the Eckert, Florida bingo hall. Anyway, guys, I'm just going to cut to it. We've got Twitter legend, anti-folk legend, (laughs) the very talented Brooke Pridemore. Brooke, how are you doing? I'm okay. I'm a legend in that you've, you've, you've heard of me, but never seen me. (laughs) Um, Truly the moth man of, uh, Truly. Of the of the Twitter, what section of Twitter is it that you're on? Because you're uh, you're prolific. You're good at Twitter, Brooke. You're not the age of people I think should be good at Twitter, but you're like among the top tweeters. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I um, I don't know. I, I I would like to think I belong to weird Twitter. Um, because it's not funny, but it's weird. Um, <laughs> it's, it's occasionally funny, but you know what's the kind of fucked thing is is the things that I think are going to be funny, like nobody gives a shit about, and the things that I think are just like low hanging fruit that I just kind of toss out there. Like that's that's what gets that's what blows up, and it happens every couple of months. It just happened the other day with that Bugs Bunny meme that, like, I would, uh, I would like to wish all blank a very blank, and uh, you know the meme I'm talking about. Bugs Bunny's dressed up, and it's, I, I do. And you were you were a pioneer to this. This is like gaining traction. I see it on Facebook. I see it on Reddit now. I saw you on Bugs Bunny XY. Twitter way, way beforehand. I, you're probably the first person I ever saw post something from it. And it was maybe a month, a month before people started doing that. That's wild. I appreciate that. But it's, it's, I made one the other day that was like, I would, I, I wish all special agent Cooper, a, a very see you again in 25 years, which, okay, those are two lines from twin peaks, but it's not really funny. And yet in the, the that's what blew up in the twin peaks groups. Like, that's the way it goes. I'm like, ah, this is dumb, but I'll get to it before somebody else does. And then that's what everybody jumps on. And so I I just try to make myself laugh. And that was the case, you know, growing up with my dad, you know, my dad being who he was, he was, he said to me once, I just have time by myself. And I try to think of things that are, I think up things that are funny to make myself laugh while I'm waiting for things. And they didn't have social media back then. They just had, you know, they just had whatever. I mean, whatever you did before the computer was in your pocket, you know. Um, And he, and I guess that's kind of what I do. As an artist, I have to have a social media presence. And I was told um, several years ago, somebody I was paying money to tell me things, said it's better to tweet all day than to just tweet when you have something new. It's better to post, you know, this is how you post on Facebook. This is how you Twitter, Instagram, you know, now it's, uh, now I'm on TikTok and I'm listening to other people about how to do TikTok. And it's like, it's, it's nominally to promote the art, but I'm pretty good at it for whatever reason. I'm pretty like, it's, it's like, it's not money making, but it's like, people are like, wow, you know, like that's, that's content. 
you know, and, and I guess content is king, right? Content is, you know, content is what anybody really, not, not all of it goes viral, but that's, that's the purpose, right? Well, if you live in LA, it can get you a job. And if you live anywhere else, it can impress your friends. So, uh, I, I personally, I used to be very, uh, plugged in to social media for a long time. And then I also uh, had someone that I was, you know, paying to talk to. It was like, hey, you know, you don't seem to be doing, having a good time on the internet. Have you thought about taking some time off the internet? And I took a year off the internet, which was phenomenal for my mental health. But I've been suffering the repercussions of it ever since. Because if you take one year off the internet, the entire internet changes. That's how quick the internet landscape slides. And I feel like I was off from a, a very integral change of time from 2017 to 2018. I just basically took all of that off the internet. And when I came back, it's like, well, Reddit's different and Twitter is different. And Christ, Instagram is different. There is now something called TikTok and you have to know about it. Um, you didn't have to have it until this year, but you did have to know about it yeah. or until 2020. Um, and I do see a lot of folks online who adapted to TikTok early. And I remember seeing TikTok and I was like, wow, young people are really getting into that thing. That's probably going to be a thing I'm going to have to learn eventually. And now I'm also slowly having to learn it. Um, I would like to I would like to not be on the Internet, but I don't see that ever being a part of my future as a content creator. I used to I used to make a lot of music. And these days I make a lot of podcasts. And both of those things require you to be on the internet in different capacities. So when you're making music and playing shows, it's more like a, you know, an extension of the brand. Whereas if you're like a podcaster, the it's all one package. Like no one follows a podcaster, but also doesn't follow their Twitter or doesn't follow their Instagram or whatever. Right. You're like plugged into that particular parasocial relationship, and there's nowhere off the internet to satisfy that with those folks. So. Right. I know, I know exactly, you know, where your, your brain's just sitting there all day. What am I going to post on the internet today? I got to make posts on the internet. Right, right. Do you feel, do you feel like you get up, uh, more out of social media than you put into it or, or would you say the reverse? I do feel that I get, um, you know, there is the, there is the clapping you on the back of, uh, you know, wow, you're... <laughs> Your posts are astonishing. Your posts are are, are crazy, and uh, that and then I'm always like, "Thank you." Um, and uh, and then there's also the more than one person has remarked that it's very weird to meet you in person, Brooke, because you're not like you act online. And I'm like, "Oh wow, well, that's nice of you to say." Like, <laughs> <laughs> how insufferable would that be if I if I acted like that, you know, in my house? like without a camera on me or without, you know, a keyboard in front of me. Um, but, you know, also, well, I, I'll, I'll give you the genesis of why I, I got started on TikTok because I, I downloaded it years ago and I made one, it was in 2018 because I was in the Detroit airport about to fly back to New York. And I, 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 uh, I had a plate of Coney Island hot dogs in front of me. And my very first TikTok is just like nothing happening, just the plate of Coney Island hot dogs. And I'm like, this is my first TikTok. I don't know what I'm doing. Zero views, zero engagement, nothing going on. Um, it's still there. And the crazy thing that happened was 
in March of 2020, I get home from, I got home from my last tour and like the next day they were like shut down. Like everything's, you know, they were like, go stay home, go to bed. Like don't touch anybody, you know? And, and so I did all the things I watched the, the twin peaks return again. I, um, got, I wrote another album. I wrote a book proposal. I wrote grad school applications. I'm taking a real estate course now, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, in there, I downloaded, re-downloaded the TikTok app and I started following prank comedians and I'll call them like only fans ads account. You know what I mean? Like, like this is me. I'm sexy. Imagine me without this on. Go to this site and you can pay check the food. link in the bio. <laughs> right, 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 right. And I, you know, so there's there's like pranksters and there's you know scantily clad people, scantily clad femmes, and uh, and I was following all these accounts and just looking at them and going like, you know, wow, it it it, it w- wouldn't it be fun to do something? And then like slowly, I started to understand the trends. And then like slowly I was like, well, I don't want to just do the trends. I want to start creating my own shit. And then I discovered, I discovered if you have like a bunch of little, a bunch of your own weird things that you post, people start to find you. And one of them for me was, was lip syncing to insane clown posse songs. I don't know if you know, I'm a huge juggalo. Um, and, uh, and I, so I started, there's a huge subculture of ICP fans on, on TikTok, And there's a, and like, and I made friends, a couple of people that are like genuine friends now, just from that. And now we're homies and we talk in the, you know, we talk in the DMS about what's going on in life. And, and, and that's, you know, so I, it doesn't cost me anything to do TikTok. Yeah, okay. I had to buy those seltzers. You know, I didn't. I didn't get the seltzers for free, so I could do that Lacroix video. But it, you know, what I get out of it is, you know, not just the likes, but the genuine, like, kind of weird connection. So it's like, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, we have to use the internet right now if you want to be connected to people. Um, I I I go to a church that can't meet in person. You know, and so daily I meet with this church, um, with this church online on Zoom, and and that's my lifeline. You know, so like, yeah, I I'm, I wonder what life would be like before the internet. I have to consciously not look at uh, the social media profiles of people that I was, you know, that I've dated in the past that I'm not in touch with anymore. Like, I have to consciously not look at that stuff. Um, and maybe that would be cool back in the day when you break up with somebody, you never have to speak to them again. Like you never have access to them again. But, you know, I also like, there's a level of connection that we can have individually with, you know, small artists can have individually with people that like us, you know, with people that like our songs, you know, with people that like our paintings or whatever it is that we're doing. And that's, that's powerful. And that's something that, people of my parents generation our parents generation didn't have um so i get a lot more out of the internet than i put into it but i am a a a uh um purposeful and glad participant you know i i gladly like in terms of the blue pill you know i gladly take the blue pill on on 
this is bad for me, but it's, you know, I'm going mm-hmm. to do it anyway, but I know fully well, you know. I do think that social media in general is good and smart. Uh, I think that a lot of people would argue to the contrary of that. And I do. I earnestly think that it is good most of the time. Um, I think that our brains sometimes are like monkey lizard brains have a hard time understanding the nuance of it, right? Like I have a very addictive personality and I will, I mean, every single day I get on TikTok and I'm like, I'll watch a couple TikToks and then I'll say, I will watch two more TikToks. I get two more. And then from that point, I will be sitting there for another five or 10 minutes watching TikToks. And I will keep getting mad at myself because I'll be like, I said I was going to watch two. Right. Just one one more of these. But I don't think that's the problem of TikTok. I do think that eventually we're going to have to like start educating each other and especially probably children in the like, hey, uh, this is how you manage your time spent on the internet. I think it's something like sorely devoid from our current life. Now, granted, it's perfect right now. I spend way more time on the internet now than I was spending before. And I'm appreciative of that because I do get to have that like sense of community and fellowship with other folks um, without necessarily going everywhere. And it's not even just like making and meeting friends as much as it is like, I, I don't, I feel it's trivial to call it like a thing to do, but there are like activities that you can do online. Like, when me and my partner were not able to see each other regularly, we were able to like sync up our computers on Netflix and watch TV shows together on and, and, and zoom one another. And then also, you know, like I've, I mean, God, I've played so much animal crossing over quarantine. That was like, you know, meeting, meeting my friends all over again in a new world when I knew I wasn't going to get to see them for what at that time I thought was months. And now, you know, is kind of like going on years, which is kind of fun. Um, really does feel like we are living through a historic event, which we are, which is kind of lovely. Unprecedented times we are living in. Oh, yeah. Unprecedented. Every time I hear that, I just think to myself, no times were ever precedented. Right. If anything, I'm more thankful than I was pre-COVID. <laughs> but I think like, man, I don't. I really don't know how much more of it I can handle right now. I'm excited to see. I'm excited because it's like a zit that you're like really on the edge of popping. Like that's right. when it hurts the worst. I'm I'm sure there will at some point be a sense of overwhelming relief and it probably won't be the moment that I realize. Like the day that I take my mask off when I go into a Dairy Queen is probably not going to be the day that I feel relieved. But like the day like a year from then where like I'm not scared to walk into the Dairy Queen, I'll be like, wow. I'm no longer scared to walk into Dairy Queen for the first time in two or three years or whatever. Go into a lot of Dairy Queens? Oh, I love Dairy Queen. You know, if they don't turn it upside down, you get it for free. Got to get those concretes. I love it. Okay. Well, now I know. You know, I uh, <laughs> I have a sad story about Dairy Queen. They, Please. They, they tried to make, I think they tried to make Dairy Queen a thing here in New York and they over the last decade, they tried with IHOP, and the IHOPs are, are some of them stick and some of them fall apart. Um, I'd love it if they tried a Waffle House here. I may never tour again if they did. Um, but uh, there was a Dairy Queen on 14th Street, and and like six months ago, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to that Dairy Queen. I'm gonna go to that Dairy Queen, and I'm gonna get. <laughs> I'm going to get a nerd blizzard and a cheeseburger 
And I'm like, that's going to be lunch today. And I got all the way there and it was closed. And it, it was it was an empty storefront. And a lot of – for it's happening a lot here where it's like things that shouldn't go out of business are going out of business. You know, Dairy Queen – should be solvent. You shouldn't be able to lose a, a Dairy Queen in a, in a year's time. Right, right. And so that mm-hmm. would mean, because it was there five or six years. Now, is it my fault that I didn't go into that Dairy Queen and fight in the five or six years it was there? I That's that's debatable. <laughs> I don't think that my $6 was going to make that, that spot close down. So I'll only accept so much responsibility. But, you know, that's happening a lot here. And it's like, Okay, well, I want the mom and pop. I want the taqueria to stay open, but I also want the Taco Bell to stay open. You know, like I don't I don't want it to be like an either or thing or God forbid, you know, all of the amenities. And these are very first world problems to have. Like I have to wait till I'm in the south again to go into a Dairy Queen um, or be in Michigan in the summertime, I guess. But um, there aren't a lot of options, you know, for if you want that kind of ice cream. Which sometimes I do. Is your what would you say is your is there a New York ice cream that you go to? Like a if I'm if I'm there, if I'm in the big apple brook, where where's the ice cream spot? Well, here's the thing, and you know, I I moved here where everything is artisanal and organic and and like, you know, quote unquote good for you. If not good for you, at least it's not quite as chemical based as what I'm used to. And I've been here almost 19 years and I've never gotten used to it. So it's like there's no New York equivalent of a Dairy Queen. If you order if you order cheese fries here, they come with real cheese on it. And I want that stuff that's out of a bag that's going to make you sick. I want that saucy stuff, you know, like, you know, like Something when you they eat- cannot legally call cheese. You're like, right. do they spell? That's not how cheese is spelled. Well, it's. It's how that food is spelled. So right, and, and I, and I, you know, I know the stuff they said they serve here is better. I know it's better, but I don't care. Like if I'm ordering that, I want it to be as bad as possible. You know, like like can we put more fat in that? Can we put more salt in it? Great. You know, can we just liquefy it and shoot it right into my vein? Awesome. <laughs> like, may I offer you? Atlanta, Georgia, a place where you can get the artisanal version of every food on the planet. Truly a culinary delight, masterpiece, masterclass of a city. But you can also get the greasiest, sketchiest chicken wings that you want. Wendy's, Waffle House, Whataburger. Well, you can't get Whataburger here, but we're, we're expanding Whataburger into uh, Metro Georgia in the next couple of years, which is exciting. Wow. This is a spot. Cookout. Cookout is a phenomenon of, oh my God. of Atlanta that, yeah, it's kind of amazing to be like, you know, just for, for a, the, the inner, the inner heavy kid that still likes to, that still likes to indulge that, that snack food, you know, and, and it's not an all day thing and it's not an everyday thing anymore really, but uh, to drive down the road and see a cookout and a crystal next door to each other, like that's that's hog heaven right there you know like that's that's why you go on tour that's why i go on there is literally a a crystal right next to my cookout right up the street it's my spot every every time i'm feeling kind of like a wild hair that i'm not going to make any food i i i pull up 
Moreland Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia, in East Atlanta. And I see that there's a cookout. And then right next to the cookout is a, it's a McDonald's. And then right next to that is a, a Crystal. And right next to that, a Wendy's. And I could, McDonald's, Wendy's, you can get that pretty much anywhere. But like yeah. a Crystal that close to a cookout, it's just amazing. I'm not going to lie. There have been times I have gone through, gotten a cheeseburger, cowboy style from cookout, then driven through the crystal drive through and gotten a crystal chick Nashville hot to Holy eat on cow. the side of it. Holy cow. Yeah. That's see, that's, that's decadent. That's decadence. Now I couldn't understand my friend, my friend Yorgos just bought a house in Atlanta and they were saying that the, the real estate was so expensive there. And I was like, I was like, I don't get it. Why? And then now I understand why, because you don't have those options here. that's it and the price of real estate's going up brooke i understand that's why you're you're out here trying to is this a real estate license you're trying to get are you going to sell houses i'm going to i'm trying to learn how to be a a broker to let apartments i i one of the things i'll be straight with you the last year has been incredible for me spiritually um you know it's it's a horror show for the world but i really appreciate the world taking it on taking an l so i can you know, so I can have my own personal growth. But one of the things is, you know, I, when I tour, when I, you know, I've, I've gradually started, you know, having better turnout, better successes, better financial, um, stuff that I don't like thinking about, but, um, but I still was having to get home and work 70 hours a week for a month, you know, to, to catch up. And it wasn't as bad as it was in, when I started touring again in 2015 or 16, but it was, it was pretty up in the air a lot of the time. And I'm like, you know, what can I do so that if touring does become something I'm doing again, uh, what can I do? So it won't have to be like that. And the kind of final form of, of New York service industry people is, you know, being real estate brokers and renting apartments and, and, it's not glamorous, but it's something that I can, it's, it's a, a job that there's a demand for and people need to, uh, people need to be homed and people use brokers. And so, you know, everybody that I know that's left the service industry or every artist that's like something to do in the downtime, they're all like, I love it. It takes a little getting used to, but, and so I'm just like trying to learn another trade so I don't have to, Cause tables are scary. Tables are, tables are frightening. You know, like, uh, it, I did it for a few months at the end of 2020 and it's really not a, not a, not a very comfortable scene to be a part of, you know, you're like, is this the day that I'm going to contract the thing that kills me? You know, like yeah. even with all the safety precautions, you know, because, because the people who are going out to eat are still, you know, do we really have to put the mask on when we come to, when you come to the table? Can we just not wear the mask? And it's just like, sure, just cough in my mouth, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck me, right? I have to remind my mom to like wear the mask when she's going through the drive through. And I went I went back. I was in I was working in Atlanta. And then I as soon as I got off just to like save as much money as I could so that I wouldn't have to like immediately hop onto another gig. I went back to Pensacola where my parents live and uh, I 
the first day I was back, she was like, well, we're going to run through the McDonald's drive through and she runs through the McDonald's drive through to get a cup of coffee. And I'm like, why are you not wearing your mask? And she like, well, because, and then she like paused and it's like, she had not computed with her. Like she was like, I'm in my car. How could I give this person coronavirus? And it's right. like, oh, because she, you're not wearing a mask and you're right next to them. And just because you're in a car doesn't mean you're not right next to them. And yes, they might need 15 minutes of prolonged exposure, which is that's just we're all guessing. That's all fucking guessing. Uh, you know, so do all of these other people who are in their car. And it's just more of a courtesy than anything. Right. right. Um, right. I have to like. I remember my mom and sister who both, you know, like, I mean, they're from the suburbs of Pensacola, Florida. I love Pensacola. It's like my favorite place in the whole world, but I am stressed out there right now because nobody is taking anything seriously. Like I had to go into a Walmart for my parents and there would maybe 60% of the people in the Walmart were wearing masks. And like, that was not the percentage of people who were wearing them correctly or who were social distancing. That was yeah. just the people who were like feigning the idea of wearing a mask. And I had like an actual like anxiety attack, like in the Walmart, I was like running through the Walmart trying to get everything. I didn't know if I was going to make it. I was like, I don't know if I can stay here. But you know, my 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 parents are in their 60s and 70s. So like, I can't just, you know, I've got to take an L for the team here. Now, granted, as of today, this is the first recording of the show that this has uh, occurred since I am. I'm double vaccinated. I have I have two, two vaccinations. So that feels really nice, but also like I'm just looking at everybody not doing what they're supposed to do. And it's like, okay, cool. So I'm definitely going to have to probably get a third vaccination eventually because we're not going to like starve this thing to death. Apparently, do you remember at the beginning of everything when we were like, we are Americans. This is our duty. We are going to take care of each other. It's like a war. It's like the war on terror or drugs, it's like a fake innocuous war, but it's still a war. It's the war on the germ or whatever. Right. And everybody was like really cool with that for like three weeks. And they're like, dude, I got to go. I am out. I surrender white flag disease one. Two weeks to flatten the curve was a year ago. <laughs> mm. you know? And, and you're absolutely right. And, and living here, living, you know, in some, you know, this, you know, metropolitan haven, supposedly you would assume that people, you know, people are like, oh, I'll take that seriously. But I, I get on the train and it's like, you got that mask on your chin. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know how dirty the train is? Like, come on. It is it is a stereotype when there is not a disease in the air that this train is dirty. Right. It is double dirty right now. You know what the mask has protected protected against is is the the, the stink car. That's been, oh, wow. I don't know if you know the phenomenon, the train phenomenon of the stink, the stink car. But if you ever see a, a, a subway coming into the station and it's packed, but there's one car that's empty, don't get on that car. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a biohazard. I mean, it's like what it means is there's somebody has defecated in there or possibly died. And uh, the mask has helped. Um <laughs> can you confidently get in the stink car now? You can. Uh, you can. I actually got somebody threw up on the car and everybody ran. And then I just sat there because I'm like, whatever, I'm two spots from home and I'm wearing a mask. And these MTA employees came on and they're like, yo, you got to get out of this car. 
they like made me move to the crowded car because it's a biohazard. I mean, it's, it, that's, you know, I, I didn't contract Corona from that, but it's, it, it did, uh, in hindsight, it wasn't very smart of me not to run from the puddle of vomit. That's the New Yorker in me now. That's like, Hey, free seat, you know, like, I, I appreciate how unfazed you were by it. Like that is, I guess that comes with 19 years. When did you move? September 1st, 2002. September 1st, 2002. You're from Michigan prior to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have Detroit area and then college in Kalamazoo. And then after college, I just came right out here. And um, Now, did you come out to make music? Yeah. I, I went to college for creative writing and um, I did not. Uh, I didn't take my undergrad program very seriously, but I learned how to write songs out there. And uh, it gave me sort of the basic preparation for getting out to, to, to New York and getting started here. Living on my own was more of an education than my undergrad education was. And that's just because I didn't take it very seriously. seriously. But um, I knew from about sophomore year that I was gonna I was gonna use my you know I was gonna put my post collegiate work was gonna be you know probably gonna be a little less dignified than working in an office somewhere but you know the other truth is I, I look around now I look around at all the I don't know any of the people that were in majors in business management when I was in college but you know, all of the infrastructures that, that I, you know, it was suggested that I should have tried to get into after school, you know, business management or whatever else was that all that stuff disappeared. You know, there were no job, there were no jobs in the fields that, uh, that a, a more conservative minded young Brooke Pridemore would have gone for. So, you know, the, the heart, having a heart and soul of the artist was, is, really the truth about me. And so it, it meant going to school. It, it meant going somewhere and trying to make it. And, and I, I have done better than I expected then, you know, I said seven years, you know, because my, my family didn't want me to leave Michigan. It, when you're, when you're surrounded by water on all sides, except for the bottom, which is Ohio, like you really don't believe that the rest of the world is very nice. And so you're like, just stay here. And, you know, D Detroit is, is still, despite gentrification is still the ruins of, you know, you're living in the ruins of an industrial wasteland. I mean, it's, it's an industrial wasteland that doesn't have industry anymore. And so it's not a very nice place. And so the idea of me leaving town was very foreign to my family. And so I said to them, well, I'm, the plan is I'm going to go out and it, after seven years, if I'm not happy, I, I'm going to consider what else I could do. And the day that it was seven years was the day that I flew to, to Europe for my first, to Germany for my first European tour. And so I was like, well, there's your answer, you know, and that was 11 years ago. So, you know, I've just kind of stayed the course. Um, I also don't know. I mean, I don't know where else I would go. Pensacola is, seems like, uh, like it would be cool. 
the one thing I like about Pensacola is there's people that grow up there and stay there. And that usually means that, that there's good things to be there for, you know, like there are people who were there when I was, you know, when I first went there that are still there and still playing music and still doing stuff. There's the Chizuko. I mean, I know Sluggos isn't there anymore, but there's Chizuko. And then there's also a house show scene. And it's kind of a really wild, weird little place. Like it's kind of also Alabama in a way. Um, yeah. Uh, Florida is the only place in the country that the further north you go, the more south you get. Right. And Pensacola is the perfect example of that. It's just lower Alabama. Can, can I tell you, can I, I tell you, can I tell you an anecdote about my first day in Pensacola? Um, absolutely in 2005 and i will never forget this first of all we didn't know you shouldn't tour in the south in the summer um but we we roll up to pensacola on on uh this saturday and we're supposed to we're playing at sluggos that day and um and so we for whatever reason there's construction or whatever and we can't find exactly where sluggos is and i go I go up to this woman and I go, uh, excuse me, can you tell me where, where Cervantes is? And, and, <laughs> and she goes, Cervantes. <laughs> <laughs> I will never in my life forget that woman saying Cervantes and, uh, and just finding out exactly where I was that day. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I fucking love it. <laughs> So the last time I was in Pensacola, I actually saw a Brook Pridemore sticker. I tweeted it at you. I don't know if you saw. Oh, so really? I don't know if that was the house show that you played at. It was the Bug House? Yeah. Yeah. At, it, good, good venue. My my friend Grover, who produced my first album, lives there. My best friend Bethany uh, also lives in that house now. And I was helping her move in. And I was like, look, this is pretty. You know, when you played in the DIY scene for long enough, you start like, just seeing your friends stickers in other people's houses around the country. And it's always fun. Cause you're like, look at that. And, uh, it's fun because it's like, look at my Twitter mutual. Look at this is, this right. is right. This is impressive. This isn't like a guy I met in a place where someone was smoking meth in the corner. This is right, just right, a guy right. I know from Twitter. Right, 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 right. That it's really, it, it really means something like, because you know, like, Sometimes people ask me like like how do you get started? And I I tell people that I don't like as much as I tell people that I do like the same thing, which is just start. Like mm-hmm. you know, usually the follow-up is cool, let's do a tour together. And I'm like, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Like just you know, find your way. Like like I, I can't tell you exactly how I started, but we just started and didn't let anybody tell us we couldn't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then all of a sudden you've been doing it for 16, 17 years. And, you know, I, I know exactly who I am. I've sold a few thousand CDs um, and a, a, a slightly less vinyl. And, you know... But what you do, what I do get is I put that sticker up on the wall of a house, you know, with permission. And then somebody exactly a Twitter mutual sees it and sends me a picture of it. And like, and that reverberates out, you know, and it's like, I can't explain enough. I've had, I've really had 
huge falling outs with band with my bands over the years. You know, there was a there were a couple of guys. They were my roommates, and I was playing with them, and and they were playing in a bunch of other bands, and and they, you know, really didn't want to have any real personal interaction with any of my like my punk friends. They didn't, you know, I had this bigger social circle than they were a part of and they weren't interested in the punks. And it was because, you know, one of their other bands was getting some real major attention at the time. And, and I was trying to go, no, I'm trying to build one community here. And these guys were like, look, we're just not interested in these, in this other thing. And it's actually nothing against those guys. Like there's nothing, it's nothing wrong with, you know, having this, like, I don't really give a shit attitude about this, you know, we're just here to play your songs. But, you know, the more that, the more that I cast a really big net, the more, you know, the more fish you catch, you know, as corny an analogy as that might be, you know, that's really the way that I've, I've, I've always tried to look at it, you know, like, I played with dead bugs and I invited them to come up to New York and play. And they did, they booked a tour and like the show in New York wasn't nearly as good as the show that they put for me in Pensacola, but it was still awesome to get them to come up here and do it. Yeah. I, you know, when I first started making music, uh, when I first started, like, I don't say when I first started making music, I started writing songs when I was probably like, 15 i had my like first band we were a little little metal band i played in a harry potter themed rock band for a while but (laughs) all of that was just kind of like uh you know play and dress up kind of like look at me in my rock band or whatever and then i started like taking music seriously when i started getting involved in the pensacola diy scene which waxes and wanes and will always be there but is at times thriving and is at times a little smaller and whenever i popped into it it was a little smaller and it's almost like the stock market because you have an opportunity to come back up with it right Right. And so like I rode it up and as it, you know, we were booking shows and playing shows and booking bands from around town. And for our little small town, it was nice to get like, you know, in Sluggos, the nice thing about Sluggos when Sluggos was around, uh, especially the more contemporary. I don't know if you ever went to the more recent Sluggos that was on Jefferson Street in Pensacola. But man, you put 50 people in that room and it looks like you were playing to 250 people because yeah. that's the size of the room or whatever. And it's just like such a good spot with a great vibe and great energy. And everybody's really welcome there. And, uh, you know, Chizuko, very, very similar. I think Chizuko is temporarily shut down right now because of the Kawuwu. Yeah, uh, but yeah. I'm told that it is going to come back. Um. But, you know, I started playing those shows and I, I kind of had this idea that I was like, enough people were showing up and listening to me play music that I was like, I could just play music like that could be my job like that. And people enjoy it and I'm getting better at it and I'm gaining momentum or whatever. And then the longer I was a part of that. And honestly, since I've moved to Atlanta and gotten out of it and kind of moved towards my professional career and Atlanta does not have as nearly as thriving of a DIY scene, not because there's anything wrong with Atlanta scene, but when you're in a big city, it's big city music, you know, which is just instinctively a little bit different. It's always really interesting to me that there are bands and artists outside of, you know, outside of small towns that have that sort of ethos, the, your, your Brooke Pridemores, your teenage Halloweens, your Jeff Rosenstock's the world people who still like got the right energy and understand where they come from and stuff like that. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that it is, I mean, at least for me, and I think to a lot of people, even very successful people, 
you know, it's about like making friends and networking and just like having a great community. And uh, I was kind of weird moving here because I didn't know where to find that community. Like I didn't know where weirdos hung out when I moved here. I was like, so where does just weird people go? And then, you know, people would shuffle me around. They'd like point me and I'd be like, no, those are punks and metal heads. And those, some of them are weird, but that's not the crowd I'm looking for. Right, I'm specifically right. looking for weird people. Right. It turns out that in Atlanta, Georgia, that is in the improv com- comedy community, you know, oh, wow. uh, which I think, sh- I think shares a lot of like lifeblood with the DIY scene. The improv is maybe not as glamorous as playing shows, but it is at the same time, like, you know, like there's only so many places that you can like walk into a building where you don't know anybody and somebody will walk up to you and be like, I like your shirt. My name's Al, you know, like, right, right, right. who are you? What band are you excited to see here? Oh, you've never seen any of these bands. Well, you're going to have a good time. Let me know if anyone gives you any shit, you know, like that's just like so much more valuable than making money from playing music to me. And, uh, I mean, I would trust me, I'd love to make a little bit of money doing it at the same time. And I have made my very little amount of money. It's nice when you're a a solo artist because it's way easier to tour. You know, I, if I make $60 at the end of the night at the, after a show, it's like, great. That was fine. That was enough money for me to get to the next place in my small compact Toyota and my acoustic guitar. I'll be fine. I just made, I made, I made $55 in profit today. Someone let me sleep somewhere. I rented a uh, um, uh, a minivan from someone um, from another band a few years ago, like an like a two thousand four. Um, which it's wild that a two thousand four car is old. Um, mm-hmm. The last car I owned was a nineteen eighty nine Bonneville, which was only twelve years old when I got rid of it to move out here, um, but. I rented a a 2004 Dodge maybe and I made more money. I mean, from, from doors, from the door and everything on that tour, I made more money than I made on a lot of other tours that I've been on and came home with nothing because it was just so expensive to keep that car in gas. It was just like, it, it was like as the speedometer went up, the gas gauge went down, you know, like it was just terrible to look at. But, um, there is a certain amount of karma about about touring. It's like w- whenever I get a free ride, that tour makes less money. Whenever it costs, like whenever it costs a lot uh, to be on the road, that tour makes more money. And it's like it keeps me humble in a weird way, you know. Like it it keeps me grounded in a in a in a way. It's it's cool to have this. You know, but like exactly like you're saying, so it's like most, you know, I've had to learn how to ask for what I need from from shows. You know, when I first started touring again, people didn't know I was playing with pedals. And so they thought I could just do it in a, you know, without a PA. And I and I I had to start saying, like, I have to have electricity. I have to have, you know, all this stuff. And if I go out again, I, I might even want to do something that's, you know, guitarless and, and just, you know, requires, you know, better sound systems, you know, if I can work it out. Um, so I've had to ask for exactly the specs that I need, but it's, there's also like not, you know, I'm not sitting there wringing my hands about whether I get $120 or I get $80, you know, like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, and then once in a while, somebody cares and it comes up and they're like, wow, I don't know how this happened, but you know, the show made 800 bucks tonight. Like, here you go. Like that happens once in a while. And it's like, mm-hmm. it, that shit is just wild. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's chaos works in your favor. You know, chaos plays favorites. Are you a practitioner of chaos magic, Brooke? Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you seem very chaotic. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that too. Thank you. I have been, the, the chaos has been endurance tests, you know, over the last few months, it's been like, you know, how do I really want to sit down and watch every movie Nicolas Cage was in? You know, do I really want to sit down and, you know, um, you know, record everything that I write, you know, it, you know, but I guess that is still part of the chaos magic. So you are eventually going to be back out on the road. You've got a new record coming out. I've, I've been following, look, I'm not going to say I've been around since 2003, Brooke Pridemore, <laughs> but I've been, I've been following the, the Brooke discography since I'm going to say 2016. Okay. Or whatever. Uh, what is, there is, you know, a, a, an interesting evolution in the history of the Brooke Pridemore discography, at least all of the music that's on Spotify. Uh, I know that I've, I saw you one time at some small venue uh, with my, you know, I think Luke Hendricks, you know, Luke, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, my a friend of mine brought me to New York and I'd been in touch with Luke cause I was running a little label and we helped him put out some cassettes, I think. Um, and he was like, well, come to this show or whatever. And I remember uh, him being like, here's who's on the bill. And I, you know, it was Brooke Pridemore. I was like, from Twitter? Like that guy? <laughs> so I was, I remember being excited about that. But you did play with a full pedal board. I wasn't expecting it. And I believe maybe at the time, maybe this is contemporary. There was, there was some imagery of Brooke Pridemore is a band. Brooke Pridemore being a metal band. Yeah. And can you explain? Will you tell me? Yeah. Um, I... I am a, I am a, um, I, I really hate the idea of distilling my life's work down to one word or two words. I specifically hate it when those two words are folk punk. Um, Mm -hmm. I specifically, uh, I, I, I'm aware that I work in the folk punk idiom, from time for, you know, at times, or at least it's adjacent to that. Um, but, um, I, I get, I get hives when people tell me they can't book me because they don't book acoustic shows or they don't book folk punk or there aren't appropriate, there aren't appropriate acts to book with me. And, I get really upset about it because, you know, I, I know damn well that I, they didn't listen to the music. They just see it's a name and they, you know, maybe the RIYLs on Spotify are, are like, oh, well, I don't book music like that. Well, listen to the music, you know. And so around 2015 specifically, when I went on a couple of tours and it was like, you know, there's no, I, I care. In 2015, I toured to Atlanta and back and I had my pedals with me the whole way. And I got to use them about four times on that whole tour because I, you know, 
was in these spots that didn't have electricity. And I really wanted to avoid that. And so with Luke, you know, and with other friends, as I was growing and starting to, to, to move in a different direction, I was like, you know, I, I don't want to play acoustic shows. I don't want to play acoustic. Um, I got really into doom metal at the time that's progressed. And I'm into more like grindcore and death, you know, death doom now. Um, but I really, well, I wanted to make a metal record. And in fact, I have made those recordings and, um, and that's probably the next thing of mine that'll come out is this split with a band from Philly called yuck mouth. But, um, I, I like, I want to have a really big swath of a career. I want to have a, I want to have a really big net. I want to, I want to work on a really big map with a really big palette and some of that stuff sticks and some of it doesn't, but I really, I really don't want to play to one kind of audience. The, the, the most satisfying um, string of shows I've ever played was um, in 2019. I went in April of 2019. I drove to Lancaster. I played in Lancaster, PA at the Apes of the State House. And I was the only act that plugged in. It was a total folk punk show. And then the next night in Philly, I played with um, Bandit and Yuckmouth and another grindcore band and a juggalo rapper named Wormtooth. And, and, you know, the bandit set, you know, wrecked the basement, you know, and it was total chaos and everybody got punched in the face and, and, um, and the, and the, the apes show was like a regular folk punk show. And I played the same, you know, maybe not exactly the same set, but I didn't change anything between those two nights. You know, I did my thing at both shows and it worked at both shows. And that's what I want. You know, that's what I want out of music more than anything in the world. Like I, I want to, I want to know a lot of bands. I want to know a lot of styles. You know, every time I make something, I try to, I try to incorporate some other styles of, of what I've been listening to. And, and, you know, so it's like, okay, if you have to file it under folk, go ahead. You know, if you have to file it under punk, I guess that's, that's more the ethos that I'm working under the idiom that I'm working under than any other. But, but I, I just like, I can't stand when they're like, well, it's the thing you put your heart and soul into. And, you know, on site they go, Oh, I don't listen to that. I don't like that. Like challenge it a little bit. That is one of those things about playing in a small town, like Pensacola, Florida, like there are not enough bands for us to have folk punk shows and metal shows and, synth shows it's like well uh you know this is who's playing tonight these are these are the folks who are out here and you might have a metal band playing with a a, like a a singular acoustic act and some electro pop band playing with it or whatever and the uniting thing might be the word punk but not necessarily in the you know in the music itself but in that just that DIY ethos that like gritty, like we're just going to do it our own way. And that's like fun. I I think that you can take three bands and as long as they're doing it their own way and they share that same spirit, like very rarely is a show truly as uneven or disingenuous as some promoters might want to think it is. Right. You know, like that's, that's a different thing. Like I, I would much rather have a show like that than a show with three bands that sound alike, but who all 
stand for different things and appeal to different groups of folks. And right. Like those are the shows that feel kind of weird. Like you go to and, you know, you see like, uh, your, your 19 year old, like the first, second big show that they've ever been to right next to folks who are in their forties or fifties who've been coming to see like the same punk band play every six months when they get an opportunity, they're all off on the same night. Like those shows are fun. Like that's, that's cool, fun stuff. And I'm there for every single one of those nights. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, I also, I also don't want to be a part of, um, I want to be a part of as few shows as possible where it's like, yeah, okay. You booked the, we booked the popular band. So they brought, you know, they filled the room, but the room only, even if they stay in the room, they only care about the popular band, you know? And like, Mm, I I, I really want, you know, I really want the shows that I play to be an event, you know, like we, from the early days of touring, it was this thing that this painful lesson that I learned in the early days of my, my, my touring life was sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta go to Dallas and sometimes all there is you can do in Dallas is a Christian coffee shop. And so you gotta, they don't want you there. You know, they don't want there to be a show. Some, for some reason they agree to it. And the, the 27 bucks that you're going to scrape out of the people that happen to be there is like, is make or break, you know? So you do it and you do it with a smile, but you know, I really, as I've gotten older, I really want the places that I play. I want those shows to be, you know, happenings. I want there to be stuff going on. And, you know, if the only people I can find in your town are, are noise acts. And I'm like, I listen to lots of noise and I'm like, just come play the show. I know it's an acoustic guitar, but you know, like, like, let me yeah, just like, there's like an audacity to people who are like, well, you know, those, the people who come to those shows only like that one kind of music. That's not true anywhere. Like I love all different kinds of music and I think it's super cool. Like I, I too, you know what? I have played noise shows. I don't get it, but it's not necessarily for me. But every time I've watched like a noise show live or gotten to play with a noise show, it's like, not only is it rip ass it's like this is so cool i feel like i'm in a movie and i'm about to die but also you're like whoa everyone here is so committed and charged and they're so stoked to get to see a break there's four bands on the the roster three of them are noise acts everybody is happy to hear the one person who's not like turning on a buzz saw they're like yeah we'll take it absolutely acoustic guitar i will take some of that right now it's like like when you stop in the middle of the pit to, to get a glass of water, you're like, yeah, this is refreshing. Noise was something for me I didn't understand uh, to, until till only a few years ago. And it was something that was meditative to begin with. And, and it was like, you know, I needed something that was really harsh that would take me out of myself. And Merzbo Records were, were what did it. And that and um, and I, you know, and then from there it became well, maybe I would like to see this stuff live. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe I would like to to make some of this myself. And I do make a little of it. Um, and it really as a hobby, I, I mean, um, but, 
it's something that, you know, you're either called to or you're not, but, but you're absolutely right. The guy who, who only listens to hardcore, you know, danced to dance to the Macarena at his sister's wedding. You can't mm-hmm. tell me that he didn't. You can't tell me that he stood in the back of the room with his arms folded until they played Rise Above, you know? <laughs> you know? So you're you're full of shit. I only listen to hardcore. No, you don't. You go grocery shopping, you know, he, he you you go to sporting events, you watch television, you don't mute the theme song on 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 the Sopranos so you can, you know, listen to MDC or whatever. So you're fucking lying. And and, you know, music is something that all of us have within us, you know, and so I want to share that with people. I don't want to share that with people that just look like me, you know, and that's that's punk. That's what punk is, you know. I, get I agree. Very that was, <laughs> no, that was beautiful. I, I liked it. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about this. I know you said you've got a split coming out. You do have this album. You're telling me that has turned into a double album. Can you, can you elaborate on it? Tell me a little bit about the writing process, some of the themes. Yeah. In, in 20, uh, in 2019, I started recording a record with the guy, uh, with Vin, Vin Cashione, who, uh, recorded my last record metal is my only friend. And he, uh, he and I started working together and I was going to do it solo. And then I went on this really depressing tour and I was like, I can't do it. Metal is my only friend was essentially a solo record. Uh, there's a drummer that's not me on two of the songs, but I played everything else on it myself. And I made it that way for a very specific reason. And with this new record, I was like, going to do that again. And then I was just like, I got so sad on tour being alone that I was like, I can't do that. And I, I, you know, cajoled my friends, Mikey Erg and Jay Nixon, who play with me semi-regularly here to play drums and bass on, on these 11 new songs. And there was something in the back of my mind that was like, those 11 songs aren't the whole record. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but they're not the whole record. And I know it. And I didn't know what, what, how it was going to work out. I got home from tour, the world shut down. Um, you know, don't go to work. Here's your unemployment, you know, just chill. And so I just chilled and these other like 13 songs came out of me and I was like, Oh, there's the, there's this other record. And so I was going to make another, I was like, maybe I'll make a solo acoustic record, of these songs. Cause they're all very, you know, they're not down tempo. They're not they're but they're all like finger picked and, and, you know, and, and then as it happened, my friend Ben, who's in, uh, you know, another band here was like, I'm getting into recording. Would you let me record you for free for practice? And I was like, sure, I've got these songs. And I sent him these songs and we, you know, started working on it. Vin is stuck up in Canada. His wife, they're up in New Brunswick. His, his wife is from there. Um, they're having another kid. So now they're, now they're up there indefinitely. And, you know, Ben was busy with his band Bodega and, and other stuff. And so it's kind of, I kind of had to sit and I haven't worked since July or August on this record. 
And I, it's one of those things where it's like, I was sitting there just like going, okay, well, I wonder what net what's next. And then I didn't know, like, do I release this, these as two separate records or do I release them as what, cause I don't want to like release one record and then have, you know, have it be three years before I can release this other thing. And, you know, when I'm sitting there looking at these songs and, and I'm like, I wonder if it could be one, I wonder if it could be one record and have it, but it had to start with this one song and it had to end with this other song. And so I'm like, I wonder if I can put it and I did this thing and I have this whole obsessive thing with track lists where the tracks have to flow by order of key. Like on my, on my records there, the, the songs are all in related keys and I know no, and nobody else does that, but it's just another insane thing that I do. And, uh, and I, I sat down with these track lists and I was like, huh. And I came up with a track list that incorporated, folded them into each other and started where it starts and ends where it ends. And, and it was really satisfying and it's only, it's only 80 minutes. And, and I was like, I can make a double record. I can make a double record. And people are usually like, you know, when we talk about albums today, people are like, don't bother making albums, just make a single because nobody gives a shit about albums anymore. And I was like, if nobody gives a shit about albums anymore, I can do whatever the fuck I want. If, if the stakes are that low, then that nobody, that quote unquote, nobody cares or nobody's going to hear it. I can do whatever I want. I'm just howling in the dark by myself. You know, <laughs> nobody cares. But what I find that when I'm like, I, I'm going to do whatever I want, you know, all the records in my, in my opinion, all the records of mine before metal of metal is my only friend had a, a fatal flaw to them where I tried to make someone happy or I listened to what somebody else demanded of me and didn't stick to my guns hard enough. And they're not bad records, but they are all marred in certain places by somebody else saying, this is the way this has to be, even though it was wrong. And, and so what I learned with metal is my only friend was it came out and I was, you know, not, not satisfied for life, but I was like, it came out and I was like, Oh, holy shit. Like that's a, that's a well-made record that has my name on it that I did, you know, that like, that meets all the standards that I set for it. And so I looked at, you know, I, I puzzled over the first 11 songs and I puzzled over what to do with the two batches of songs and then making them one batch of songs unified in a single album, you know, or in a single double album um, really seemed like the move. I have no idea what I'll do after it, but I don't have to worry about that. So the album is called Nebraska because I wanted to call those acoustic songs Nebraska and I never came up with a satisfying title for the other for the other the first batch of songs. So they're all just called Nebraska. And and I think that's, you know, and the, uh, the if I get my way and I will, I have no idea no reason not to get my way. The cover will be a parody of the Bruce Springsteen album. You know, it's like, a phenomenal album. It, we talked about it a little bit beforehand. It's not; it was not as critically well received as some of the other Bruce Springsteen albums. But if you're a guy who likes lo-fi DIY music, that is a fucking amazing album, right? And you know, speaking of speaking of who you know, what you you know, 
like, what do you do next? You know, with a moment like the Bruce Springsteen album, I had the privilege of, of asking Max Weinberg. I've, I had a privilege of meeting Max Weinberg a few years ago. And, you know, it was nothing glamorous. He, we, you know, when he's done with a gig, he likes to stand there at the bar and have a drink and talk about the records he played on. And I'm the only person who cared on staff that night who cared. And I stood there listening to him, but I asked him some questions and I said, did you know what you were going to do when the E street band ended? And he was like, I had no idea. And he just called us up one day and was like, I'm going to go without you guys for a while. So he was mad. The guy from Bruce Springsteen was like, I was playing in wedding bands, you know, and I was playing in playing on whatever I could and playing on blah, blah, blah. And then, and then we got to, you know, then the Conan thing came through and then the, the E street band got back together. And then I had two careers, but you know, but there were moments where I didn't know how I was supposed to live. And like, you know, I'm, I think I'm of a generation. We're of a generation where, you know, we see the lives of artists wrapped up in biopics, you know, and it's, you know, I think it's important to remember that like, you know, something like walk the line, you know, Johnny Cash didn't know in 1965 or 1959 that he was going to have a life in music. He just had a life in music, you know, and, and changed as change came, you know, and had ups and downs and, you know, so n nobody's life can be packed into 90s min 90 minutes. Nobody's life can be packed into two words, you know, um, you just do what's do what comes naturally. And right now, what comes naturally is, you know, making a double record that hopefully a handful of people will hear. Well, I, I can't say that speaking to metal is my only friend. It is the most Brooke Pride more sounding of all of the Brooke Pride more albums. <laughs> like, I, I like it all, but like some of it, it, you know, it's like, oh, I hear a lot of other influences in this music. And when I have listened to metal is my only friend, it's like no one on earth could have made this record except for them. Like that is that is. That is the person who is going to make this record. Um, yeah, I, one of the. I'm, go ahead. No, 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 no. I had nothing. I was spitballing. Hit me. Something that something that sticks with me is the real problem about those earlier records is there are all these parts on them that I don't know how to play. You know, and and I've been I've been a singular musician for so long. It was like, well, why do we have all these things that I don't know how to do? If the guitar, if there's a guitar solo, it should be a guitar solo that I, that I can play, you know? And mm -hmm. so that was the idea. That was the idea with that. It is also very pedally. There's a lot of like sonic texture to acoustic guitar on it. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, Brooke, is there, is there anything else you would like to say to the people or to the sentient AI that I'm uh, using this uh, this podcast feed to train before we before we depart. Uh, just keep in touch, you know. Find me on the <laughs> find me on the things. I'm I'm an active shit poster on every platform. I just got an invite to the Clubhouse app today, and I, you know, um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear Brooke Pride more on Clubhouse. Yeah, I haven't figured that one out yet, but and God forbid if I if I have if I have offended you or hurt your feelings at some in some point and we see each other in the future, just remind me of it and I'll do my best to amend and amend the behavior. Um, wow, that is a beautiful sentiment. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Al. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Brooke. Can we go out on a song? Can I attach a Brooke Pridemore song at the end of this? Put Pocket Scheme on there. Pocket Scheme. We will attach Pocket Scheme. And thank you, Brooke. And uh, this has been a fun time, and I'll have you back on the show soon. Sound good? Sounds good. Thanks, Al. Thank you very much, my friend. Scheme. My eyes went blank, my hands came up clean.